The text chosen for this afternoon's sermon is found uh, again in Job, this time chapter 10, verses 1 to 7, just a couple pages ahead on page 423 on your Bibles. As Job uh, continues his plea to God here, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance of my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you, have, why you contend, contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the works of your hands and favor the design of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man or your years as man's years that you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin? although you know that I am not guilty and there is none to deliver me out of your hand. That's uh, thus far. The sermon this afternoon was prepared by Carlo Jansen, formerly from the Canadian Reformed Church of Abbotsford. Now he's serving at uh, Willoughby Heights Canadian Reformed Church. Um, after the sermon, we will stand, if able, and sing Psalm 102, verses 1, 4, 5, and 9. Um, many of the scripture references in this sermon are uh, from the RSV, so they haven't, I didn't change them to the ESV. So. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, dear, dear children of God, brothers and sisters, in Christ and guests. In the fall of last year, we paid attention to the opening of the chapters of the book of Job. There are many opinions as to what Job is actually about. Many people figure it's about suffering. Others believe it's about God's sovereignty. Yet others believe that it's about God's sovereignty. Yet others believe God is justifying himself. It's a book about wisdom. It's a book about faith. And indeed, these are all themes addressed in Job. In all of these, the theme faith runs from start to finish. Job's faith stands at the beginning of the account, as we can read, In the land of Uz there lived a man named Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. It is the faith of Job that is attacked by Satan, the accuser who speaks to God and asks, Does Job fear God for nothing? The book of Job tells us how Job's faith is tested and sustains the test. Job's faith is strong enough to resist the attacks of Satan. James subs it up with this line in James 5, verse 11. Have you heard of the perseverance of Job? We will probe further into what is the significance of Job for us today. There is a tendency for us to compare oneself to Job. When Job is struck by the first series of disasters, losing his wealth and losing his family and even his children, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. May the name of the Lord be praised. When a second disaster strikes him, and when he becomes incurably sick, he was thrown out of town to live at the local dump, and his wife advised him to curse God and die. Then Job said, Shall we accept good from God and not accept trouble? As modern-day readers of this historical account, many find themselves thinking, Job is a perfect example of a good believer. That's how God wants me to be. But then you come to chapter 3, where we read, May the day of my birth perish. 
And why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child? And why is life given to the bitter of soul? And sighing comes to me instead of food. My, my groans pour out like water. You frown and you begin to wonder about it all. Job is no longer a prime example of how one should be. It's more like the opposite. This is the last thing a believer should want to be. But that's not the right approach we learned. If you take that approach, the Bible book about Job is, is, uh, the Bible book is about Job and not about God. Job's faith is central theme to the book we see. But realize this faith is a gift of God, for faith is a gift of God, as we read in Ephesians 2, verse 8. Satan may figure he is casting doubt on some deeds of Job, for we know that that's not true. Faith is God's gracious gift, and as a gift of God, faith is resilient. The Spirit of God conquers all. Job 1 tells us of the perseverance in spite of external loss. Job 2 tells us of the perseverance in spite of personal loss. And Job 3 tells us of perseverance in spite, in spite of the passage of time. Job 3 makes clear. Job did not curse God and die. Yes, he did wish to die, but he did not turn his back on God. So who am I and what am I as we live in the 21st century after Christ to do with this Job? Am I to read this book as a story of a person just like myself? Someone who knows about the ups and downs of life? Also, the life of faith? This book is not trying to get me to look like Job. This book is telling me that Job looks like me. I hear Job saying things I sometimes say. I hear Job struggling with issues, and I sometimes struggle with myself. And it's a book that points me to Christ, the perfect believer, who in many ways took my place before God, who, rather than Job, is a prime example of what I am to be like. And thus, the book of Job is true encouragement, admonition, and comfort for the child of God. If God managed to keep Job standing in these trials of faith, then he can keep me standing as well. And that lines up perfectly with what we read in the New Testament about Job. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and full of mercy. <coughs> Look at Job, and you're looking in a mirror, looking at yourself. And you long for Christ. Today we're looking at the image reflected in chapter 10. This is one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible. Another such difficult chapter is Psalm 88. In Job 10, Job complains to God. In Psalm 88, this passage has us complain to God. One sees a child of God turning to God in bitterness and anger to say, it makes no sense, God. You don't seem fair to us at all. There are those situations in your life where a person feels frustrated with God or feels angry with God. Now, many believers figure that they're not allowed to be, that it's not being respectful before God. Can one express anger to God or disappointment to God? Or don't we run the risk of doing exactly what Job's wife told him to do, to curse God and be done with it all? Is it possible to give voice to one's feelings or to give free reign to one's complaint and still speak right with God? Let us hear what God has to say on this matter by the mouth of his servant Job. We listen to God's gospel summed up by this theme. Believers may as well times submit complaints to God. We will pay attention in the first place to the words spoken, and in the second place to the words weighed, and the third place to the message understood. First, the words spoken.
Much of the Bible of Job consists of debate. Lots of words, lots of long-winded debates. Reading it as a child of the 21st century and as a child of Western culture, we may wonder why speakers don't just get to the point more quickly. There's probably several answers to that question. One is, this is the way it works in Eastern cultures. And another is, this is a tense and emotional situation. And the third is, the debate is stylized into poetry, much like Shakespeare created rhythmic lines for his theater productions. But whatever the reasons may be, the length of the speeches may prevent us from getting to understanding of their general thrust, especially if we just read them. What we'll do now is trace the line of the debate between chapters of Job 4 and Job 10, and I, I will also attempt to have you observe the emotions present as they happen. You may want to take a Bible and follow along as there will be many text references as we go from Job 4 to Job 10. We begin at Job 4, which uh, is 418 in your, in your Bibles. The first friend to speak is Eliaphaz. It is assumed that he is the oldest of the three. Eliaphaz figures Job has no reason to be afraid and that there's no need to be scared. All you have to do is simply believe in God and all will be well. As we read in Job 4, verse 6, we read, Should not piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? People may say this when visiting someone who is down in the dumps or in the pits, or when somebody's spouse unexpectedly dies, or when you're diagnosed to have some horrible disease, or when your child chooses the wrong way, or even when your parents abuse you or neglect you. You're a good person. All will come well and will end well. By the way, Eliaphaz figures he's quite something. He tells how he once had a special vision. God explained to him how everything fits together. No creature is perfect. God even finds faults with angels. He so definitely will find faults with man. Man is to God like a moth that he can readily crush. According to Eliaphaz, it works that way. God is almighty. Salvation is a way out only found in God. In Job 5, verse 8, we read, but if it were I, I would appeal to God and I would lay my cause before him. People often say that too. If I were you, I would do this. Or if I were you, I would do that. Professional counselors are even taught that you should never say that if I were you. Now Eliaphaz's advice sounds good, appeal to God. But why does Eliaphaz advise Job to do so? Because he is convinced you receive as you deserve. Sure, God does punish a person sometimes. But that's to keep you on the right path. In Job 5, verse 17 and 18, we read, Blessed is the man of God who corrects. And in verse uh, 18, he, injure, he injures, but his hands also heal. And that's the gist of it. Job's friends had put their heads together before speaking with Job. And this is the fruit of their reflection. Job, things will be okay. For those who sin, you will be punished. But you're okay, and God will make things right. Further in Job 5, verse 27, we read, We have examined this, and it is true, so hear it and apply it to yourself. Well-meant words, a lot of truth, but how does Job feel about these words? Probably not very good. Many will recognize the first thing that Job says in chapter 6, verse 2. If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on scales, Job longs to be understood. He doesn't feel understood. His friends certainly don't fathom the depth of his frustration. Eliaphaz just tells Job to not be afraid, but fear is there. Job 6, verse 21, we read, Now you too have proven to be no help. You see something dreadful and are afraid. 
The words of his friends don't help Job up, but they only push him down. In Job 6, verse 25, we read, Why do you, What do your arguments prove? His friends don't get it, and Job was not lying. Why should he lie? Disaster has already struck him. Job acknowledges God is the one causing the suffering. At this point, Eliphaz and Job do agree on one thing. And it's worth noting that Job points this out by turning to God in Job 7, verse 17, where he says, What is man you make so much of him that you give him so much attention? Job is looking for a break. He's looking for a little time out. He's looking for a hand up from God as he thinks, God, leave me alone. I know you have the right to do what you are doing, but this can't go on. This isn't normal. Job doesn't understand why he suffers so much, and it's frustrating to him. For he has done nothing wrong. As Job says in chapter 7, verse 20, he says, If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Now note, Job does not claim to be without sin. The very next verse, that is clear, where he says, Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? The point is, Job has always repented from his sins. His life may not be perfect, but Job is a blameless man, and he does not live in sin. Boys and girls, every time Job did something bad, yes, he did say sorry to God and to people. And he really meant it too. And so Job doesn't understand what he is doing wrong. Then Bildad speaks. Bildad doesn't beat around the bush. He just has one message. God blesses those who do good and punishes those who do evil. In Job 8, verse 3, we read, Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Bildad is convinced. Job is being punished by God. God only punishes the wicked. Hence, Job has to be guilty of some terrible sin. Remember, Job asked for understanding and empathy. Bildad has none of that for him. Bildad wants to get to what he perceives to be the bottom of the issue. It's not hard to imagine how upsetting this is for Job. Sure, Bildad is right, as Job admits in chapter 9, verse 2. Indeed, I know that this is true. But how can a mortal be righteous before God? And Job emphasizes once again, this comes from God. As we read in Job, again, 9, verse 24, if it is not he, then who is it? Job finds it strange that his friends would think this does not come from God's hand. Have they forgotten Job's statement? The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Have they forgotten his other statement? Shall we accept good from God and not evil? That's not the issue. The issue is God is greater than Job, and Job can't figure out why God is doing this to him. In the reasoning of his friends, he's guilty. But Job knows himself to be innocent. It doesn't make sense to him. God cannot be the way his friends present him to be. But if that's not how God is, what is God like? Here Job asks the question in chapter 9, verse 32. He is not a man like me that I might answer him. And in Job 9, Verse 33, if only there were someone to arbitrate between us and lay his hand upon us both. Job is looking for empathy, brothers and sisters. Do you feel for Job? Can you imagine how the words of his friends are useless to him? There's no truth in them. It does not match Job's experience. I'm sure many of us know that feeling. When somebody tells you something is true and all you can think is, you're not listening to me and you don't understand. It's all true, but it's not. Then comes the words of our text. Job hits rock bottom. He's fed up. He's fed up with everything. He's got nothing to lose, and he's ready to say everything, and not to his friends, but to God. 
Job is going to call God to account, even though he has admitted that God is not a man and that there is not a single person who could arbitrate or who could judge between himself and God. Job asked the why question. I find verse 2 be translated better in the ESV. Let me know why you contend, contend against me. He asked the highest judge he knows. Job wants to face God before the judge God. Impossible? But what else is Job to do? Why all this suffering? In verse 3, because you have it in for me? Or is it verse 4, because you've made a mistake? You've got the wrong person. Or is it verse 5, because you did not study the situation carefully and just acted too hastily? Justice is not always fair. Judges can be influenced by other motives. And that's true today, just as it was back then. Job knows he's in the right, he is blameless, and he is upright. That can only mean that the issue here lies with God. What motives might God have to treat Job the way he is? Is it to his advantage? Has he got the wrong guy? Is God being careless? Job does not get it. As we read in Job 10, verse 6 and 7, and I figure there should be a period after verse 5, a big pause, and then here we have it. The way you search out my faults and probe after my sin, though you know I am not guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hand. This is pretty emotional language. This is the struggle of a believer. Job is choked. He's choked with questions. He didn't really want to ask them. In Job 3, he spoke about God. In chapter 6 and 7, he was very careful. He spoke sharply to his friends, but very respectfully to God. But in Job 10, we hit rock bottom. As we read, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Picture him sitting there, tears pouring down his face, his head in his hands, his friends shaking their heads. Job seeks comfort in the only place where he knows comfort can be found, with God, the very God who is striking him. Next uh, will be the words weighed. The church father, Augustine, once said about Job the following, O oh man, let go of your impetuous thoughts, cast these cares, these objections from you, resist those difficult things in your fighting questions, think for a moment on God, yes, go to an inner room, shut every door out except for God, and look for him behind that closed door. And then let your whole heart say, your face do I seek, O Lord, your face. When I read that, I thought to myself, that's exactly what Job's friends are saying. Augustine, where is your empathy? Is Job allowed to seek empathy? Is Job wrong in what he says? And that's the problem, and that's where the problem is with Job. For when all is said, God has this evaluation of Job. He has spoken to me what is right, as we read in, in Job. Everything that Job says about God is correct, but just before Job says this, Job says, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job falls silent. That makes it hard. That makes it difficult. On the one hand, God has approved of what Job said about God, but on the other hand, Job retracts his words. And we've also got to admit that what Job's friends say is often true. So how can God consider the way they say wrong? The answer to that is the friends are very one-sided. They have turned God into a system, a matter of logic. It's all objective. The personal is missing, 
the experiential is missing, and the subjective are missing. What do the words of, what do the words of Job as recorded in our text tell us? The following three things can be mentioned. First, those friends, those friends of Job make a vital mistake. They forgot to go and stand next to Job. Instead, they go and stand in front of him. They have no empathy for Job. They show no understanding to Job. They are opinionated, know-it-alls who figure they have to teach Job what life is all about. They are a kind of friends that you can definitely do without when you're struggling. What's also striking is the one-sided view of the friends have of God. All they can talk about is the sovereignty of God, how God is almighty. I find it striking these friends of Job sound like Muslims talking about Allah. Now, Islam only came about in the last 25 years, but Job's but the God of Job's friends does sound a lot like Allah of the Muslims. If you read the speeches to the friends, you'll notice that they only speak about God. You know what they don't do. They never pray with Job. Can you imagine that? Through all of this, they never prayed with Job. These so-called friends, they do Job injustice, and they do God injustice. In the second place, Job speaks with his friends. Job also turns to God for Job. God is not just a system of faith. God is a person with whom he has a relationship with, a relationship of trust. Trust that is being tried. For the God in whom Job trusts is the very God who is pushing Job down, and that hurts. When somebody whom you trust seems to drop you like a hot potato and leaves you in the lurch, that hurts. But Job does not let go of God. Job is a man of integrity. He does not write God off the way his wife wanted him to do. No, Job tries to understand God. Note that Job is looking for understanding from his friend, and Job himself tries to understand God. How difficult that must have been. That's the hardest thing anyone can do. Try to understand God when trouble strikes and when disaster rolls over you like waves of the sea. And in the third place, there's the fact that Job gives his complaint free reign. Remember the difference between Job 2 and Job 1. In all of this, Job did not sin, charging God with wrongdoing. And in chapter 2, verse 10, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. But things were churning around inside for Job. In Job 3, those feelings breached the dike. May the day of my birth perish. In Job 10, the dike has failed. The water is pouring through the levee at top speed. Job is done, and he does indeed give his complaint free reign. What's right and what's wrong? Job falls silent and repents. God says that Job is right in how he spoke to God, but let's begin with the last. The way Job presents God is right. Yes, God is almighty, but God is also personal. God is ruler supreme, and God is loving and loyal. If something bothers you, even if it's clearly God himself doing this to you, to take it to God. The friends are far too impersonal, too objective about God. They put God at a distance, and that is wrong. God is a person who has significance, not just for your head and your hands, but also your hearts. I mean, God is, not, God is not just a very complex someone with all the manner of commands and prohibitions, but he is a God of relations, a God of love, and a God of loyalty, and a God of understanding, a covenanting God whom you relate to. He is close to you. His word is close to you. Indeed, he is so close and involved that he sent his only son in Jesus Christ. The way Job presents God is right. But scripture tells us Job falls silent and repents. Does that mean he never should have said what he did? No, it does not. What you see here is the struggling of a human being. 
These are the struggles that form a believer. Such struggles are very much part of our lives. Remember, Job is also about pointing ahead to the perfect believer. I think of a man who never sinned, our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, take this cup from me, and yet not my will, but yours be done. Luke 22, verse 42. Jesus articulates a request and then takes it back. Is that wrong? No, for Jesus never did anything wrong. What we see happen is how articulation instructs us. Counselors know how true it is when you articulate your feelings, it helps you move on. They'll have you write a letter that never gets mailed. They'll encourage you to keep a diary which only you read. It's commonly known and it's not helpful to simply just bottle things up inside. Scripture says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions, petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was head because of his reverent submission. Hebrews 5, verse 7. In our text, we find such prayers and petitions with loud cries and the tears of Job. Job gives his complaint free reign. He pours out his heart before the Lord. Also, as we read in Psalm, book of Psalm 142, Verse 2, to you I pour out my complaint, for I am weak and my spirit is faint. And God is fine with this, for God does not require Job to offer a sacrifice for what he said. We weigh the words spoken. We see in them the bitter anguish of a man suffering under the curse of God, declared over creation, following the fall into sin. We see in them a foreshadowing of the Son of Man who would cry as bitterly as Job did, who would sweat drops of blood as his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow and at the point of death. Matthew 26, verse 38, and Luke 22, verse 42. We hear in these words a cry for Emmanuel, for God to come and to stand next to Job and justify him. We see faith, yes, a living faith in this action. Yes, beloved, Job 10, we hear a voice of faith. Being angry and upset and taking your complaints to God is an act of faith. Outsiders will not get this, for what does God for what God does to Job, what the friends do to Job, to them the solution is curse God and die. Take leave of God and be done with your life. But not a believer, not one who, like Job, understands what man's deepest problem is and who has an understanding of where the solution to it all can be found. In Job 9 verse 33 we read, If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon us both. Job was looking for a mediator between God and man, someone with sufficient authority to judge over God. Impossible? No. It is a reality in the Son of God who was born a son of man. The next point, we'll talk about the message understood. So what shall we learn from this for ourselves? And how are we understand the message and apply it to our lives? First of all, the book of Job is a book about faith. In Job, God presents us a typical believer, not a model believer, but a typical believer, and teaches us how saints may persevere. Brothers and sisters, do not take ill of yourselves if you feel the need to give your complaint free reign. It's not wrong. Job did it. The psalmist did it. Our Savior did it. Don't be afraid that you will lose your faith. And if you see a dear one struggle, don't think that they are sinning. Indeed, it's when you fall silent, when you turn your back on God, that you're losing your faith. Faith is living, active. It reaches out to God at the high points of life and in the low points of life. 
God's gift of faith to Job had Job utter the words that we read in Job 10. I could put it this way. Don't be a superhuman in your faith and how you experience your faith. Don't put on a good front when your heart is churning or when you're suffering. Be angry, be frustrated, express your disappointment with people, and do not sin, and do not turn your back on God. But go to God with your complaint. Speak out of the bitterness of your soul. The righteous, blameless Job did. The man, of, the man who feared God and avoided evil. Our Savior did. Be honest and open to God. Only then will you grow in faith. There are two other things I'd like to mention that don't arise out of our text in particular, but out of what we see happen in Job chapter 4 through 10. First, when you see a brother or sister overcome by disaster, when you see someone suffering, go and stand next to them. Pray with them. Not in front of them with a raised finger, but next to them with an arm on their shoulder. The kind of words the friends of Job spoke did not help. Indeed, God himself disapproves of them. That there was truth to them, but it was not completely true. Seek to understand the other person and then walk with them down their road, down their road of faith, their road of ups and downs. Secondly, God cannot be arranged. God is way, way beyond our comprehension. Don't try to make sense of God in a human way. That's what the friends did. They thought they had it all figured out. God reproves them for speaking to him in that way. Job struggles with understanding God. Job comes to understand that God is way beyond him. Questions may be asked. Complaints may be given free reign. There won't always be answers, but that doesn't really matter. For faith, faith is about trusting in God and facing the unknown with God. The saints of God persevere, for the Spirit of God works faith in their hearts. We can put our hand into the hand of God and head towards a future that is unknown to us. So here we have it. Believers may well, at times, submit complaints to God. There's nothing wrong with that. It's part of being a child of God. Don't be afraid of losing God. And if in your complaints there should be sin, if you do not find yourself turning away, if you do find yourself turning away from God, you can always go back. For Christ did all that needs doing in your place. And his obedience and suffering, also that prayer in Gethsemane, is also yours. He died for all who trusted him, Job and you. Believe it, keep on believing, give your complaint free reign. God gave us the Psalms as approved Psalms to articulate our lives and what's within us. They all point towards Christ. They are all God approved, articulations of our inner experiences. We are going to sing, read what you sing, and dare to sing it. Amen.